the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Sean Spicer, White House Press Secretary for Donald Trump, now the host of Spicer & Company on Newsmax every night, 6 p.m., joins me. He's the author of this brand-new book in my hand, Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. Sean, good to talk to you. Welcome back. It's always good to be with you, Hugh. Thanks for having me back. Sean, how do you find time? to do a five-night-a-week broadcast and write a book. Five nights a week, Monday through Friday, for an hour, is a lot of television. You know, there's a lot of people that can ask me that question, but when I look at you and see your show and the columns that you write, I, 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 I'm trying to keep up with you, just yeah, to be clear on that. <laughs> Luckily, I can wear, you know, pajama bottoms in the studio. I don't have to go get made up and all that stuff. Sean, I want to go right to the end and to the agenda, a conservative action agenda. Donald Trump blurbed your book. So did Newt. So did Dan Bongino. Wonderful guy. Charlie Kirk, Mercedes Schlapp, Dana Loesch. Everybody blurred your book because they liked the agenda that you laid out for conservatives in an opposition. Do you think that agenda will help Glenn Youngkin across the river? I think you're a Virginian. I'm a Virginian. I think Youngkin's going to win. What do you think? I think right now he's going to win. The momentum's on his side. Look, we've seen the last several cycles of Virginia politics come down to five points or less for a lot of these statewide races. Youngkin's got the momentum going in. Terry McAuliffe has a base problem. Look at the people who are coming into Virginia and the places that they're going. Uh, they know that they have a problem with the uh, with the base that got Biden elected um, in Virginia by a huge margin. And um, and you've got a you know a guy that was frankly a former popular governor struggling in the northern Virginia area with with minorities um, with with people who have traditionally voted Democrat. I mean, so the ads are starting to look like you know that that the squad AOC and uh, her her ilk wrote them for him because they know that they, there's not there's a huge enthusiasm. So, yeah, I think Youngkin's going to go over the finish line. I think that we're going to take back the House of Delegates in Virginia by a couple seats. Uh, and I really think that the underticket, Winsome Sears for Lieutenant Governor and Jason Mieres for Lieutenant Governor, are both going to come over the line, too. Now, Sean Spicer, number nine in your conservative action agenda, protect your children from radical indoctrination. Now, you wrote this. I imagine you had to go to, to press. You had to submit the the manuscript in April or May, and you had no idea how Yunkin would get the nomination, which was by seizing on education, the end of merit and accelerated classes, and then win and put himself in a position to win by virtue of focusing on quarantine, COVID shutdown, masks, and especially CRT. But here you are, you're anticipating on page 271 of Radical Nation, which my audience can see if they're watching on YouTube. Have you got this propped up by the way on the set of Spicer and Company? I'm working on it every night. Yeah, we we make sure we we, we plug appropriately. Okay, because I you know Ad, Admiral Stavridis comes on and he never doesn't have in the back of his 
of his screenshot for my YouTube and, and Facebook, he's always got 2034 up there. And I just I haven't seen yet whether Radical Nation is now on Newsmax 24-7. Oh, we, we've done a good job. It's probably 23-7, but we're, we're trying to get into that final hour. Okay, but I'll tell fine. you, the, 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 <laughs> the point that you're making, though, I will say, look, when you write a book and you know this, that you don't know what the environment's going to like when it publishes because it takes months after you finish it. And I, I couldn't have been luckier in terms of uh, what is happening now in terms of CRT and the other issues that I was talking about when I wrote this book and them coming to fruition, them becoming to the forefront. I mean, obviously in Virginia, this is a big deal, but frankly, it's a big deal throughout the country right now. And people are realizing what's happening. You have people like President Obama dismissing them as conservative, you know, follies when in fact it's a real issue for every parent around the country. When we come back, we're going to do the podcast today with Sean at the end of the show. He's going to stick around and do the podcast, the interview with you, Hewitt, and go deep into Radical Nation, the brand new book. But I got to ask in terms of of your I want the radio audience to hear your assessment of Jen Psaki. I've read it. There are two chapters on on the uh, the new media landscape and Jen Psaki's in both of them. She's loved by the left. What do you think of her professional approach, Sean? You know, it's uh, here's the thing. I think she does fine. My my issue is always with the press corps. I think these guys let her off every day of the week. They were former colleagues of hers when she was at CNN. Um, they're, they're buddies. This is not. There's no pushback. Uh, there's no reconciling the double standards, the hypocrisy, the failed policies. So uh, you know, she gets out there. I think it's cute every day the way that she sort of throws back questions at Peter Ducey or whoever and, and tries to make it funny. But it's really pathetic the way that the rest of the press corps sits there and just laps it up. So let me ask you, Sean, if the president, if President Trump had said in a town hall, we will defend China, in other words, uh, on a impulse doing away with strategic ambiguity, which I think should be done away with, but not on an impulse, and then walked it back, how would your week have been as press secretary? Uh, well, I, first of all, I don't know how I would have made it out of the day. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there are so many things that happened at CNN town hall. And they dismissed them all. Like, that's the thing. Is that it's like batting balls away. They were like, oh, he just misspoke. He was tired. Um, he was up past nine. I don't understand how he can make so many mistakes and be so unclear as to U.S. policy. I mean, this guy was vice president for eight years, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, and he doesn't know U.S. policy with respect to Taiwan. I, I mean, what, and, and by the way, you're going to screw up that. You, you don't send your press secretary out the next day to do a little mop-up. You make sure that you do something about it because the Chinese certainly uh, want to make sure that it's not just the press secretary that's cleaning up. The president believes it. Uh, I'm going to be back with Sean Spicer on the podcast. Back now with Sean Spicer. Sean, I'm going to marry the first eight minutes of our conversation to this podcast about Radical Nation. Now I don't have to work against the clock. Now I can talk to you the way I want to talk to you. Sean, would you lay out for people who may have been abroad? Uh, when you started at Newsmax and what Spicer and Company does at 6 p.m. every night and where, why you wrote Radical Nation right now? I uh, use a full eight minutes then. Uh, so Spicer and Company launched at Newsmax March 3rd of 2020, which is Super Tuesday. Uh, and we've now been on just over, what, 18, 19 months. The trajectory has been amazing. The number of people who have found the show every night at 6 o'clock. And the thing that's interesting to you is, so every night um, – I, you know, I, we get to sit down with the people of the day you know, and talk about the issues that are driving news, the things that people are sitting around at dinner every night and talking about. And the thing that I think is fun is that, like, 
a lot of television hosts, you know, are, are frankly pundits. They get up there, they give their opinion, whatever. The thing that I think is unique about my show is that as a host, I've been in the arena. I was a White House press secretary. I was on the Hill, worked for more than 10 members of Congress, 23 years in the military, assistant U.S. trade representative for, th- or for three years. So when I talk about things on the show, it's not just sort of asking a guest. I can say, look, my experience is X. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Or is there anything different about how the sausage is getting made this time? And I think that brings something really unique in terms of insight into what's going on in Washington, how decisions are getting made, who the players are. And we have to have that conversation every night with the key folks that are driving those decisions. Um, With respect to Radical Nation, I mean, look, this was, to me, the first comprehensive look at the Biden-Harris administration. The people that are in it, frankly, the lack of qualifications for so many of them, they're very nice people from what I can gather, but most of them are not qualified for the jobs they're in. And then also the policies that are being pursued. And as I like to say here, the, the big why, why are they all doing it? Because they tie together and everything that is going on in this administration when you sit back and look at it and lay it on the book, is in pursuit of greater political power. They want D.C. to become a state so that they get two additional senators. They want to let more people over the southern border because they want more voters. They want to pack the court because they want to cement a judicial legacy. I mean, so there's all of these things. They want to pass trillions of dollars in new spending to get more people hooked on government. But all of this is in pursuit of greater political power. Now, I want people to know the reason I trust Sean is his coaching tree is amazing. My son is on it. He's now up on the hill working for Michael Waltz. I always disclose that he worked for Sean years ago. And there are so many people around Washington, D.C. who worked for Sean in that long career. You've got a network out there that pulses signals to you every day for Newsmax. I mean, it's really kind of incredible. Is the is that why they put you on primetime because of the Sean coaching tree? It's like Bill Belichick looking for some advice from people. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, your son was one of my superstars and uh, has done very well on his own. Um, but that's, that is right. I mean, I sit there every day, and I'm talking to folks that have worked with, uh, worked for, and that worked for me and saying, okay, here's the read that I have on the situation. Do you agree with this? Is your boss doing something different? Where is this thing headed? And, again, I think that presents a unique insight every day because uh, there are so many times when people look at what's going on in Washington and, frankly, I think have an incorrect read because they don't understand the dynamics of the different personalities. Not everything is logically driven in Washington, believe it or not. Most of the time, it's people's egos that get in the way and understanding the fragility of somebody's ego getting bent out of shape and what they will do to destroy something because they didn't get the due that they thought they were worth um, is, is something that from the outside people don't necessarily get. Oh, you know, I, I think it's it's the insight that powers everything, but especially chapters 17 and 18 on the American media disgrace, which is part one and part two. And that's that's really what I wanted to drill in with you on. I've been around media for 31 years on radio and television and print and, and now on podcast and, and via cable carry and the Salem News Channel. I'm astonished, Sean, at the disintegration of media credibility. There was a time when you could not get anyone to believe that media was biased and the a media research center, which you praise highly in radical nation was alone out there. Brent Bazell, they were just alone in the wilderness and no one believed them. Now it's a given. And you really explore it in these two chapters. The, uh, the blinders are off. Everybody understands. Everyone is a partisan. Well, yeah. And the thing that I think I'd really try to drive home is that it's what you don't see. If you wake up and you listen to the Today Show or read the Washington Post or the New York Times, 
you are not getting a good chunk of what's going on in this country right now. And that's the biggest sin of all, because right now the White House press corps refuses to push back. They refuse to acknowledge the hypocrisy, the double standards, the failures of policy and why those failures are occurring. The other day you saw Barack Obama, I mean, uh, Joe Biden go out and start talking about we got to get port workers to come going 24-7. 24-7, you can't get people to work an eight-hour shift, and you think the answer is telling them to work 24-7? I mean, yeah. th- there are fundamental problems with their policies, and and, what and we have inflation going off the roof, and their answer is to spend $3 trillion. Uh, you've got a secretary of transportation, Pete Buttigieg, who I'm sure is a very nice guy, but he's 38 years old, and he's the mayor of a city with 66 buses. You really wonder why we have a problem, a supply chain job problem, why our ports are backed up. Um, and the media doesn't want to discuss anything negative that happens. Um, Hugh, I'm going to tell you something that it didn't make the book, but it exemplifies the two chapters that you just did. Um, it's going back about two and a half weeks now. The first repatriation ceremony in the history of our country occurred um, at Joint Base Pearl Harbor. The U.S. Uh, repatriated 38 Korean soldiers, and the Koreans repatriated six of our soldiers. President Moon from Korea flew over to Hawaii to personally deliver the remains of six U.S. service members. Do you know who greeted them from the Biden administration? It was a member of the military, wasn't it? Yes. Was it? Not one member of the administration. Not one. It was the four-star general, uh, four-star admiral who heads tax lead down there. But no one from the administration, not the deputy undersecretary for PowerPoint. I mean, I'm sure going to Hawaii in the fall is a tough stretch for anybody. But it is an absolute embarrassment that no one greeted the president of Korea from our country, from the civilian side, from the Biden administration, and and also, frankly, recognized the remains being brought home. It's a disgrace. And no one from the U.S. media except Newsmax covered it. No one from the Washington Post asked a question. There were pictures in Korean media only. And the idea that a head of state who is on the front line with the Chinese Communist Party uh, does not receive a a ally's welcome. And an ally's welcome is G7 sort of stuff. South Korea is a big economic player as well as a big foreign policy and national security player. I, I'm glad you called attention to it. Sean, let me even up you. Uh, Radical Nations got a lot that people can rely on for many years. It did not cover, obviously. It went to press. The Afghanistan collapse. Nobody is covering, you know how Fridays work. I, in fact, I'm going to have you explain the Friday news dump, will you? Because on Friday, Ned Price walks up to the microphone and says, we have 363 American citizens in Kabul. Sorry. Oh, bye. And goes away. And nobody knows. We got 363 AMSITs. That's not the LPRs. That's not the, uh, the the translators who ought to have been brought into the country. 363 American citizens. They've been saying around 100 for a month and a half. And we've got more than 100 out since then. And it's not being covered because of the Friday news avalanche. Would you explain to people how that works? Yeah, I mean, obviously reporters, like anyone else, want to go home on a Friday. So what do you do at 5, 6 o'clock on Friday? You dump all the news you that's bad so that you know, even if it gets covered, it's going to go into a Saturday morning news cycle when people are enjoying their weekend or taking their kids to soccer or baseball or whatever they do. Um, and so you get the bad news out to you by Monday you know, quote unquote, it's old news. No one's going to pick it up by then. And so it's gotten out. It lives its life, but it dies quick. And, uh, and, and then you move on. So if you got bad news, you know, generally you want to wait till five, six o'clock on a Friday, get it out there, know that it's going to be sparsely, if ever covered on Saturday or Sunday. And then, you know, by Monday, it's a brand new day. 
You know, Sean, uh, you weren't even born when I was working for Richard Nixon at the Elba of America, San Clemente in 1978 and 1979, when the Iranian hostage crisis came down. There were no pictures then of the 53 Americans held hostage. There are no pictures now of the 175 minimum of the 363 American citizens who want to get out. Ned Price confirmed that. But I can't believe the disgrace of the American media. They are not covering this. Very few people talk to John Andrasik, whose song Blood on, on Our Hands ought to be everywhere. I know you've covered these hostages. What are we? Where is the American media? It's 363 Americans. Yeah, and remember, Jen Psaki stood there at the White House podium told us, saying, chiding any reporter, saying we don't we didn't strand any Americans. And then to your point, Ned Price is out there saying, yeah, we think we got about 300 change, 176 that want to go. I mean, and, and I mean, not only are we not getting covered who's still there, one, two, um, they're, they're not doing anything about it. It is being done. All of the legwork is being done by private groups, by individuals, former military um, officials, NGOs. I mean, where is the State Department? Where is the government in this process? It is a complete disgrace. And yet, you know, we, there is zero coverage because part of the problem is, they don't want to write anything bad. They don't want to take the time to understand what's going on. And, and once Jen told them, hey, no one was stranded, they were like, okay, move on. And that's yeah. the point. That's, you know, what those chapters cover. Is if Jen Sagi tells them, don't look over here, they don't look over there. You know, they'd rather write puff pieces about Jen in the New York Times and, and style section things. And that, but they're not going to cover the hypocrisy, the, the failures of this administration, um, and the reality of the, uh, of the political struggles they have. I guarantee you. When Terry McAuliffe loses this race, somehow it's going to be Donald Trump's fault uh, that Biden didn't do more or something. I mean, it's unbelievable how they blame everybody else for everything except for Biden and his failed policies. Now, I've got some friends, as you do, in the White House press corps. Michael Shear comes on this show all the time. I respect Michael a great deal. It uh, doesn't mean that the White House press corps is functioning, that they have good reporters among them. The White House press corps has to function sort of in a relay race, doesn't it? It has to press hard against a press secretary in tandem or in quartet or in quintet in order to push something. There has to be an orchestra of news if you're going to hear the, me the melody. And that happened to you. It happens to every press secretary. It's not happening to Jen Psaki. I, I told Dwayne, I don't even want her. I don't want her audio. It's boring. Only Peter Ducey is the only one. She's figured out I can discredit Peter Ducey if I go to him and laugh at him. That didn't work for you, but it's working for her. But, but the whole thing is, is, first of all, I will say this. Peter Ducey asks respectful, civil questions, right? Yes, he does. Up and down like a, like a hyena, like Jim Acosta and some of these other guys. So it's always civil and respectful. That was something that never occurred. The decorum or lack thereof and professionalism just didn't occur during the Trump White House. But she knows that she can throw a clip out, and frankly, that everyone else will go, he, 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 laugh at it and move on. But the funny thing is, when I watch those exchanges, uh, you know, she sort of throws a question back. He says, you know, the other day it was, hey, Jen, after pushing these mask mandates, he walks out to dinner without a mask, and this is Biden. She goes, oh, come on, Peter. Ha, 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 ha. Same excuse she gave on Inauguration Day when he went maskless at the Lincoln Memorial after signing an executive order talking about everyone had to wear something on federal buildings. It's dismissive. And the folks on the left think it's funny because she makes a joke of it and sort of brushes her hand at Peter. The reality is, is that anyone else, if this had been Trump, they'd be calling out the hypocrisy, the double standards, the failure to abide by his own mandate, blah, 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 blah. Um, but she realizes it works and she's just going to keep doing it because she gets it. I, I mean, I, I don't fault her for that. I mean, for the fact that she realizes if I just swat him away and make a hand gesture and go, he, 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 all the other folks in the press corps will laugh. 
and a bunch of people on Twitter will call it a sake bomb. But, you know, it, the, the sake bomb doesn't work if the if half the country thinks it's a, a nightmare. She is doing Peter Ducey the career turn of her life. Right. Jen Psaki ought to get a percentage of Peter Ducey's next contract because Peter Ducey is going to be an anchor at Fox forever because of Jen Psaki credentialing him, building him up on the eyes of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, Peter Ducey has become their voice in the newsroom, and they know he is. Stri- but, but, you know. But he, 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 I agree with you wholeheartedly. But you realize that there's a lot more people in that press room. So I, when I was press secretary, one of the things that I made very clear was I called on everybody, left, right, foreign press, Hispanic press, uh, urban radio, business media. I mean, my point was, to your thing, I wanted to diversify the room so that it, it, the front row, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the ABC, didn't inoculate everybody else with the narrative about Russia every day, right? So my thought was if you bring in other voices, it's going to be good. What Jen does, she calls on all of the mainstream media, throws the obligatory question to Peter and calls it a day. There's no calling to Newsmax. There's no calling to, to CNBC. Talk to the reporters that aren't part of the New York Times or the wire services, and they don't get questions, right? So there's a lot of other reporters in that room. But her strategy, and again, I give her credit for the fact that you minimize your interaction and you control the narrative more, is that she feels like, I'm just going to call on the wire services, the Washington Post of the world, and then throw the obligatory question to Peter to check a box, and then end the briefing. And it works. And no it works. It's amazing. Because, because the problem is, as long as you feed the mainstream media beast, they're not going to complain. So the, the other voices out there, the media, the, the business media, uh, the, you know, the urban radios, the Hispanic media, their voice isn't going to get out. It's, it's, they're squawking. And who do you think is going to write that story of not the Washington Post or ABC or CBS or Politico? Because as long as they're getting fed, they're fine. And that's the thing that, that's happening when, when I was doing it and they were pissed because they weren't dominating the press briefing room. Then they were questions about the stories about how, you know, too many other voices were getting into the briefing room. Yeah, the perfect example of this is John Gizzi. And John may be the smartest guy in D.C. He's got an elephant memory. He's like Novak used to be. He knows everybody and everything about everyone. And and I don't think she's called on Gizzy that I've seen. And I don't really I, I don't think it's working. This is what I, I want to go to your premise. This is what she does. It's right. His his approvals down to 43, Sean. It works until it doesn't. It's a thin it's a thin uh, blue political line that she's breaking through. The floor is falling out beneath them. And I don't I don't think there's any way Jen Psaki can substitute for an absent president. Do you? Well, that's that's the point. You just put it there. At some point, the press secretary can't make stuff up. I mean, if there's no policy, if there's no plan, you can only cast dance for so long. But at the end of the day, you still have a complicit press. To your point, though, where I think the poll numbers are thinking is that the American people see through it and they go, wait a second. You know, you're, you're talking about ports operating 24-7 when we can't get people to work eight hours. We're talking about passing $3.5 trillion of additional, quote-unquote, non-infrastructure spending. And you can't tell us what's in the bill or why we need to pass it. Inflation's on the rise. Shelves are empty. Um, ports are backed up. I'm not, I got to order for Christmas before Labor Day. I mean, so there's only so, there's only so much dancing you can do if you're Jen. Because at some point, the American people, whether it's walking through a grocery store, filling up the car, um, they get it. And so she can't make stuff up out of thin air. I mean, she's tried, you know, by claiming that no one was stranded, by, you know, claiming that, that you know, doing cleanup. But that's all she can possibly do. At some point, the lack of accomplishment, the lack of plans, the lack of policies comes through. 
So, Sean Spicer, to wrap up, Radical Nation, and I appreciate the amount of time you've given me this morning. Thank you. Uh, this is the agenda for 2022 candidates in Radical Nation. Is it going to be the agenda for President Trump running again? What do you think? Well, if he runs again, I mean, honestly, I, I think President Trump, I mean, most of what's in the book is based on the fact that, like, look, here's, the, here's what Trump did, and here's how Biden's screwing it up. So I think President Trump knows his true north, knows what he needs to do in terms of cutting taxes, standing up for life re-engaging on the world stage to make sure that we put America first. I don't think, I mean, he knows what his agenda is, uh, and I think he's, it's just going to be basically a continuation of what he did the first time, um, and frankly, then getting us back on course, you know, especially when you think about our southern border. I mean, my goodness, the, the, the idea that you're undoing everything just to spite Trump, and i.e. letting people in. But Hugh, let me, let me make one quick point to your audience. I think conservatives make a mistake, and, and I point this out in the book. Kamala Harris is when, when conservatives say she's not doing her job, that's a mistake. She is doing her job. They want to pretend that they care about the border. They don't. They want people to come in this country. Look at the Afghans. They come over within days. We're talking about giving them citizenship and DACA for those folks. And we're not talking about the SIVs. All these other folks, they don't care. They look at these folks coming over the southern border as future Democratic voters. So it's not a question of doing her job or not. They recognize the potential of these folks. And so they're not really in earnest trying to solve a lot of these problems. Donald Trump gets it. If he were president again in five seconds, he would reinstitute uh, construction on the wall, remain in Mexico, Title 42, all of the things that stemmed. And not, not just stemmed it, but frankly, send a signal. If you don't think you're going to come in, get in, you don't go, whether that's the border or to a restaurant. I mean, if you call ahead and they say, hey, we're booked ahead, uh, we've got no reservations, and there's a line of 50 people outside, you go, all right, I'm not going to go stand there. That's silly. I'm never going to get in. Well, if you tell people they're never going to get in the country because you've got all of these issues uh, that you're now going to construct, whether it's policy-wise or physical in the sense of a wall, they're not going to show up. Now, Sean, I, I disagree with you on replacement theory, I think. I don't believe that. I do believe in optics theory. They'll do anything at the White House to avoid a bad picture. They'll do anything not to have children in cages. They'll do any, including opening the border Bussing and flying people away so that they cannot be seen by the news media under the bridge as the Haitians were. I don't believe in replacement theory. I believe in optics theory. My question okay, but, is. But let, me, let me just ask this, though. Here's my point. If you don't believe that that's the case, and I've, been, I've talked about this with a lot of folks, then explain to me, because you know, I agree with you on the cages part. I get that. They do want to avoid any image that they're doing anything that was associated with what Trump got blamed for, rightly or wrongly. But the reality is if, if not, it's common sense on how to stop this problem. And right now, when every media organization interviews people at the border and said, did you would you have come under Trump? They say no. no you're right. Are you're you right. coming because of Biden? Yes. So my question is, if you're the Biden administration and you hear that, then it's a fairly easy fix. And it, I mean, it doesn't take much to say I'm doing everything we can to shut it off. You're going to remain in Mexico. We'll proceed with your asylum uh, you know, hearing in Mexico or in another country, blah, blah, blah. Once people know that they can't get in, they'll stop. They get because of two reasons, Sean. There are only two signals that work to the mass of the world, building the wall and the remain in Mexico policy. The Biden administration reinstated remain in Mexico and they're getting scorched by the left. Scorched. They're going to have. I mean, they didn't even they didn't they didn't they didn't reinstitute it. The court told them they had to do it. Right. I mean, so so like they did it kicking and screaming. But my point is, is that if you don't believe that they see a political benefit to this, then they can easily do things that would stop it. But they oh, they're left wing. They're, they're left wing. AOC would. I mean, they cannot lose five votes in the House. It's to me, 
the radicals in the House caucus and the Senate are driving the bus that Joe Biden is not driving. He's in the driver's seat, but it's AI because it ain't it ain't Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, Radical Nation by Sean Spicer, available in bookstores now. Sean, good to talk to you, my friend. I hope you do well and, and keep working oh, hard. Man. Be Love well. It. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.